the Faith Science Podcast. My name is Todd Bubbles, and welcome back to the seventh Sunday of Easter, also the Ascension of our Lord for the week of May 21st, 2021, and I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig into this week's podcast, and I'm excited that spring is in the air. We are nearing the end of this Easter season as we are dealing with these texts and going through this, and I think it's just a fun, exciting time. It's an invigorating time within the church, and I think it's something that needs to be embraced a little bit more is really digging into the excitement here as we are nearing the end of the Easter season. But it's just this refreshing, especially in the Northern Hemisphere, as we are getting warmer weather, as we are seeing things starting to come back. I am noticing tons and tons of new bird species returning back to the areas in which I'm at. This whole rebirth, this whole revitalization, it's such an easy thing within the Northern Hemisphere as we are going through these texts to be able to look at and imagine and think about. And I think it's something that it's very easy for us to think as we are getting seven Sundays away from Easter to start forgetting and recognizing the power of what have we actually gone through here? What is this season actually all about? But before we jump into that, we have to look back at last week's question, which was, have you ever thought of a scientific breakthrough as the Holy Spirit working with us and through us? And I think it's something that we all haven't probably processed it exactly that way before, but I think it is something that is very probable to really thinking about it that way, thinking about it in the way of that as God is steering us and guiding us, recognizing that whether it's a scientific breakthrough or us being able to understand something, that the Spirit of God is with us as we are growing and learning and becoming closer and closer to who God is steering us and wanting us to be. So I think that idea and being able to understand those and move in that direction is super powerful, super interesting, and I think super important for us to be remembering. So let's just jump right into it this week. We have a lot of text this week because I will be covering the ascension of the Lord along with the seventh Sunday of Easter. And part of that is because a lot of the texts do kind of overlap a little bit. So hang with me here. We're going to start with the ascension of our Lord, which then the first reading is out of Acts chapter one, the first 11 verses of it. This, we have to remember, especially the book of Acts and especially this part of Acts, it is like Luke part two. So we are picking up kind of where we left off. And here we have that Jesus is with his disciples. He's recognized that all of the things that have gone on. And right at the end here, we get the ascension of going into heaven, the white robes and Jesus even kind of laying out some of the ministry in which he's gone through, stating that, you know, John baptized me with water and trying to bring Israel back together and recognizing that the Holy Spirit will come upon you, which we'll learn about next week. And so this whole little speech here that Jesus gives and then is taking up in the heaven. And there's some questions then of what does that all mean? The psalm then that goes with that is two options for that. There's Psalm 47, which is a praise psalm. Clapping your hands, all you people, for the Lord, the Most High, is awesome, a great king over all the earth. He subdues people under it and the nations under her feet. This 
singing praise of recognition of what God has done, recognizing how God is in control and recognizing how this is something that is worthy of being praised. The other alternative psalm that that is Psalm 93, all five verses of that one. And this is, again, more looking at a praise psalm, but it's recognizing God more in majesty and has been on the throne for such a long period of time and has lifted us all up to this majestic being and recognizing that the world in which God has created is this majestic thing. And thus, this is something that will befit what our Lord is and also the recognition of the creation of who God has made this place to be. The second reading then is from Ephesians chapter 1 verses 15 to 23. This then is recognizing that, okay, if Jesus then is the Lord and all the saints, we have to remember that this is part of the process of what is going to happen, that there's lifting up of the saints afterwards, but it's that we are being led by the Spirit and being entangled within who God has made us to be, that the Spirit within us then has been embound with Christ, and that in doing that, our body may pass away, but we are then being raised to this new life, this new place, this new eternity that isn't here, that this is this heavenly place, this what has been promised at the right hand of Christ that we will be going to. The gospel text that then goes with ascension is Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 53. This is then understanding, and as we are having this end of Luke here, the fulfillment of what is being written, that this is what is going to happen in Jesus laying out that the Messiah must suffer to rise on the third day for repentance and forgiveness of sins to be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem and stating to the people in front of him, you are witnesses to these things. And then continuing to lay out that this is something that has been promised that this is something that is going to be of great joy, something that is worthy of being worshipped and recognizing that God is in this. So let's get to the text for the seventh Sunday of Easter. The first reading is from also Acts chapter 1 verses 6 to 14. So my recommendation, why not go from chapter 1 verse 1 through 14? Because what we get here in these four additional verses is the recognition of the people who are with them and seeing this Jesus being ascended. Then, okay, what does this all mean? And so they then gather the disciples together to pray, to bring all these people together and Mary, the mother of Jesus, all there to pray, to understand what is the next thing that we are then being called to do. Which makes sense. If you've been following somebody for as long as they've been following Jesus and Jesus suddenly disappears in front of you, now what is the next thing? Let's pray about it. The psalm that goes with the seventh Sunday is Psalm 68, verses 1 to 10 and 32 through 35. This then is the recognition of, okay, God has control over what has all happened. We sing praises to that, but it's also this recognition of he has scattered our enemies. He is a protector 
of us. He has done all these amazing things for his people. He has continued to provide, even as the world around us has been in chaos, God continues to provide. So then in the last four verses here, 32 through 35, it's then, okay, if this is what God has done, then we should be singing praise. We should be recognizing what amazing things God has done, not only for us, but over Israel as a whole. The second reading then is from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 14, and chapter 5, verses 6 to 11. And this, again, is this recognition of how Christ's suffering is something also for us to be joyful about because of what Christ was willing to do for us to give the spirit of glory, the spirit of conquering within us. But in that same breath, we have to remember that us believing is part of the process, but we didn't do it. That Christ did it so that we be humble in front of God. And recognizing in that humbleness, it allows us to cast the burdens of what we have in this lifetime upon something that is much more solid than our own human life. That we are able to cast it upon God and God will then lead us out of these difficult times to be able to help us structure where we're going. The gospel text then for the seventh Sunday of Easter is from John chapter 17, the first 11 verses of it. This is again toward the end of Jesus's ministry and nearing the crucifixion. Jesus has spoken these words and looks up to heaven and says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you. And thus giving authority over all people and giving attorney to all who have been given. So this recognition of what Christ did and that in this, as John explains, the glory that is coming for not only God conquering the grave, but then us in turn because of what Christ did. And recognizing that this is not something easy, but this is something that is needed. And that in doing that, that this is going to change the relationship and that something is going to be coming then on our behalf later. But that's where we're going to leave this off this week. But before we jump into how faith and science come together this week, we have to do a shameless plug. Working Preacher, if you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it between the Sermon Brainwaves podcast, their commentaries, their discussions. Since I'm not an ordained minister, I use them on a weekly basis to help give me some direction for this podcast. So if you haven't checked out WorkingPreacher.org, I'd highly recommend it. I'd also highly recommend checking out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library. I really enjoy how they lay out the text week to week, along with having the art, prayers, hymns, liturgical colors. It's an amazing resource. So if you haven't checked out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library, I'd highly recommend that also. You've heard me talk about the Green Blades Rising newsletter and publications. This is amazing publications. If you are trying to figure out ways to look at preaching in an environmental context, this is the resource for you. Having commentaries coming out weekly, being able to take these texts and look at it from an environmental perspective, or maybe you're more into a monthly newsletter looking at not only different events and things that are happening in the upper Midwest of the United States, but also some different things and resources to be able to bring into your preaching or whatever your context is. So if you haven't checked out the Green Blades Rising publications or the roundtable, the links for that will be down in the show notes. 
And finally, you've heard me talk about this, and I'm really excited about it. It's the Gus Davis Academy for Faith, Science, and Ethics, which brings high school students from across the country to learn with the top scientists, theologians, and activists at the intersections of faith and science to work to find solutions to some of the world's most pressing challenges while having fun and creating an open and non-judgmental space for questions and community. Think Bible camp for teens who are excited about science and justice, which this to me just sounds absolutely amazing. And I'm really excited to be there June 17th through the 23rd in St. Peter's, Minnesota. The links for shining up for the Academy are in the show notes below. This summer, they're excited to explore insects, climate change, and the interconnectedness of creation. Academy Fellows will be invited to do a deep dive into the growing impact on bugs in the environment, the land in which we live on, the food and we eat, and more. They experience hands-on in ecology and theology, discovering how faith and science can work hand-in-hand to create a much more beautiful future for our planet. This is some of the fundamental foundations, ideas on how I was able to even get to the place and where I am with my faith. So I'd highly recommend checking out the Gus Davis Academy for Faith, Science, and Ethics. This Sunday, I feel in a lot of ways, is a major turning point in within the church year. And I think it's also a turning point for us recognizing and understanding how this faith actually works. And that's a bold statement to be coming out shooting with right away, guns a-blazing. But I think it's also important for us to recognize and to think about. Because when Christ ascended, our relationship with Christ changed. Because Christ was no longer there in the physical presence, but yet Christ had talked about an advocate coming, which we heard about last week. So it's this weird in-between time. The Holy Spirit in the Pentecost hasn't happened. That's next week. But yet we have seen the resurrection and now ascension of Christ. What does this all mean? It's a moment where there is no turning back. It is a moment that... Everything that we knew to that point, the disciples knew to that point, changed. And that's where I think it's so important in the seventh Sunday, getting those last few verses of what do the disciples actually do? They go and spend time together and pray. Because their world and everything they knew has drastically changed yet again. But that doesn't necessarily mean it was for the worse. As we know, being on this side of the cross, it is for the better. And I think there is an easy example that most of us will be able to recognize and understand very easily that helps us recognize what possibly was this like for us to be able to understand what are the disciples actually going through here. I think we have to go back to elementary science class and we have to understand the frog cycle. Now, to give you a quick refresher, the frog cycle is fairly simple. You have an egg mass of eggs that were laid by the parents. The parents leave, they become tadpoles. So they're swimming around in that environment, very vulnerable, but still having to eat and grow. As they continue to grow, eventually they get legs. 
And then eventually they get to a point where they are a young frog. The tail that was once there as a tadpole shrinks to nothing. And at some point, they leap out of the water and become an adult frog. Now, depending on the frog species, some have very little interaction with water after that outside of laying their eggs. Some have a much closer relationship with the water where they hang around the water and they will go swimming occasionally, still jump in occasionally, but they now have lungs compared to gills. They can't spend all their time in the water anymore. They can't breathe. They need to go up to receive oxygen. The gills that were there to be able to convert the water into oxygen for themselves are no longer there. This change is huge. This change changes how we as humans even perceive frogs because we call them tadpoles before that. We don't see them as a frog. We see them as a tadpole. They aren't there yet. The the thing is with frogs is when they become a young frog and are continuing to evolve to the adult stage, at some point they say, it is time. And they hop out of the water to become predominantly from aquatic to an amphibian where they're on land where we have tree frogs that become frogs that interact with water so little. They're laying eggs in little oases of water, a little pond or a little puddle if it's deep enough. Or you have something like the American bullfrog or a green frog or a leopard frog who are going to spend a lot more time around the water. In fact, where I'm at, I'm hearing spring peepers consistently as their water not that far away from me as the spring has been issued in and they are returning to the water to lay eggs and to make their amazing spring call. When Jesus ascended, it wasn't that God no longer was going to interact with this world. By no means, again, the Holy Spirit, Lady Wisdom, came into our world in a much more evident and vast and powerful way than she had been before. But it was also not what we were as familiar with and still aren't as familiar with. We were familiar with Jesus as the human being and being able to understand that. But Jesus also understood in order for our relationship to grow deeper, he had to leave. It was time. He had shed the tail. He was fully grown. He was a young frog ready to ascend to become an adult frog sitting at the right hand of God. But that meant that Jesus had to take that leap of faith of, I've told you everything. I hope you've retained it. It's time to go. It's time. I've done what I've been called to do and leave. Does Jesus still interact with our world today? Yes. He still leaps in and swims around, but it's not the same as when Jesus was a tadpole. When Jesus was entirely in the water and couldn't get out of the water. He was dependent on the water at that moment. The work in which it would take for Jesus to be able to get out and become the young frog to leap out wasn't there yet. He hadn't done the work in which he had been called to do yet. I think this is a reiteration to us 
of understanding our lives are in seasons. Understanding our lives, there are periods of time that are set aside for us to grow in this way. There are times in which we are set aside for this. There are times when we are being called and directed to go this way. And then there are times where it will shift. And we have to be okay with that because if a frog never leaped out of the water, think of how much it would miss. The world in which it knew and everything that it had known was in the water as a tadpole, as an egg mass, as it's growing legs and swimming around. Everything it's known has been in that water. But in order for it to take the next step, it has to leap out and explore something totally brand new totally different than anything it's ever experienced before. And recognizing as it leaps out, it no longer has the gills that it once had to be able to breathe in that water, so the relationship that it has with the water is different now. Because it's growing, it's going into this new place. The relationship that Christ has made with us is now different. The disciples are going to pray about it because this is such a drastic change, and rightfully so. But this idea of this change, drastic change, it causes us to sit and reflect on what Christ has done like in all the Psalms this week. It causes us to take, like the Ephesians and the First Peter, a deep look on what now does this mean because of what has happened. When that frog leaps out of that water, it takes time for that frog to process what now. Everything I have known is now not who I am anymore. And what does that look like? What does that mean? Some frogs will be called closer back to the water than others. Some frogs are going to be called into the forest to be tree frogs or other types of frog species that wood frogs, that they aren't around the water as much. They still get called to the water to lay their eggs, but their dependence on the water is different in all the frog species. Our relationship with Christ when Christ is no longer with us changes. But it doesn't mean that we've given that whole part up. It's exactly that different, but still important. It still makes who the frog is, what they've experienced and grown and learned to be able to become the frog that they are. Christ coming into the world and what Christ did for us causes us to rejoice, causes us to give thanks, causes us to recognize what does this now mean for our life moving forward? This is the part of Easter that inspires us to move forward, to grow, as we are entering quite quickly the season after Pentecost, ordinary time, green for months on end, where we recognize that this is the growth period. This is us recognizing, okay, now what? And recognizing that we have to grow and change. And continue to recognize what Jesus taught us to grow and become who God has called us to be. Frogs are not called to live in the water their whole lives. Frogs are called to leap out of that water at some point. To breathe that fresh air. To see the vast world around us. And you could even take this in our lives. We are still in the water. And at some point through death in our faith, we will leap into a whole new world that we won't understand at this moment. And that's what we watch Christ do with the ascension. And we're not ready for that yet. But we need to process then, 
What's going to prepare us for that? But I think we can even break it down into smaller chunks within our lives of where are there times that we are in these spots where the legs are there and the tail of the tadpole has shrunk. That it is time for us to take a leap, to go and do something beyond what we can understand at this moment, to see a new world that we haven't seen before. So the question I have for you this week is, where do you need to take that leap of faith out of the water and onto land? Where do you need to take that leap of faith out of the water and onto land? Because I think throughout our lives, there are plenty of times when God is calling us and just saying, come on, it's time. And we're resistant. We're slow. And if we're looking at Jesus as an example, Jesus does his final teaching. And it's like, I've done the work that I've been called to do. It's time for me to go home. And I think there's times where we have to do that within our own selves. When is it time to lay something down? When is it time to let something go? When is it time to take that leap and realize that we are a new creation yet again and move on to whatever the next thing is? Because I would argue that yes, it would be amazing to meet Jesus face to face, but it's also amazing knowing what's coming next week that the Holy Spirit is embedded within me and that can never be taken away from me. And that is an upgrade that I think is worth going through. So, we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.